Amen. Amen. I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, as you do that, let me introduce myself. I'm Gary Paladin. I'm the pastor of the Brighton Heights campus of Bridge City. And uh, a couple things before we, we go forward here. Um, if you're in your job today and you're, it just hasn't been, is everybody here, your job just hasn't been good? It's been, it's been a challenge. Everybody to work has been a challenge. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? We want to get to pray for you, people in challenging job situations. All right. You know, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Can I just have you stand up? Because we want to pray for all of you. Okay? This is what God wants to encourage. He wants this big faith. I mean, look around. Look at people who are just challenged. Challenge, challenge, right? There's challenges. Okay? So, again, this is the family of God. All right? And I believe God wants to speak faith. He wants to speak faith to us. So, so if you're one that you're, you're sitting down, that's okay. I just want you to stretch your hand out towards somebody around you. That, remember, that hand is not magic right? It's not magic. It, ju it just speaks of agreement. And we just want to speak faith and strength to, these, to all these people in these situations right now. All right. So again, Father, we come before you right now, God, and we, we check in right now in the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray, Lord, that we're the person you're stretching your hand out to, you're, you're praying for them like you would flesh and blood. Okay. That's, that's how you care for a brother and sister. And Father God, you know the turmoil that's going on in the soul. You know the weights that are being carried. Father God, you know that. And God, we know though, and they know that they're carrying weights they're not supposed to carry. Because you said when the burden's heavy, God, we're not carrying the right one. Because you said the burden should be light. And so Father, right now, God, we just pray. We pray, Lord God, for all these, all these that are standing saying, I'm, I'm in a stressful situation. And I'm not, some of us, we don't know what we're supposed to do. Today, right now, at 1047 on Sunday morning, God, we speak peace to souls. Speak peace, Father God. You know, one of the promises we were talking about is God gives us grace and peace. Father, let us sense, let everyone just sense, God. Let, you, you just sense right now that God is with you, even though you may see water in your boat, you're not going to sink. We were just singing, we were singing a few moments ago by faith. God, God, I know you're moving even when I can't see it. Even when I can't see it. Even when I can't see it. So God, let faith rise up. Let faith rise up. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. By the power of Jesus Christ, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Quit looking. Quit looking at the, the water and look at the God above the waves. Let faith rise in Jesus' name. Let faith rise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being part of that. You can be seated. We want to stand together on the, in these things. All right. It's, again, it's, it's, we can't underestimate just the, <laughs> the, the drain of, of uh, financial pressure and work pressure. Right? It's there. You know, not a day goes by that you don't think about money in one form or another. Okay. So, so man, so God, so we're going we're to lift you up. Let faith rise up in the house. Let faith rise. Okay. So. Welcome to the second part of our Divine Privilege series. It's going to be a four-week series. We're taking a, a break next week for Mother's Day. We're going to honor all the ladies. And uh, another big treat is Jess, our own Jess Jackson will be sharing the word next week. Okay, so Jess will be here sharing. So uh, she's with the kids on a lower level right now. But uh, come expecting for that. But right now, what we want to just remember is what we have in divine privilege and what God is trying to show us and what Paul is trying to show us in Ephesians chapter 1 particularly. You know, the word privilege has been kind of abused recently. 
you know, privilege is typically thought of now as, as a, a truly negative thing. But one thing I want you to rest assured of, when it comes to divine privilege, it's real. It's real. And you and I have divine privilege because of who we are in God. Because of Jesus Christ, we literally have divine privilege that we've inherited and has been given to us. Is that good news or what? Man, that's, that is such good news. And that we're using Ephesians chapter 1, the third verse. That's, this is our, our keynote scripture here through this series. And it says here, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings belong to us. Every spiritual blessing. These blessings are many and they are good. They're good. God literally has lo longs to bless his people. And he says, when you belong to me, these are the rewards that you get. Just because you're, you're part of my household now at this time. And in last week when we began the series, we covered verses 1 to 6. And these next, these next, this next slide slow, shows the divine privileges that we covered last week. And we talked about how you have grace. You have empowerment from God. And that, that empowerment comes, God, we want you to remember, comes before you get peace. Okay, a lot of people are just looking for peace. You've got to see that God wants to empower you and strengthen you. Also, you are holy and blameless. Is that good news? Holy and blameless. Because you look in the mirror and all you see are flaws. Right? And there's some people you look at and they remind you of your other flaws. Right? But he says you are holy and blameless. That's, that is divine privilege. Because not a person in here by their, by their own merit is holy or blameless. And it also says we're adopted. We're adopted to be children of God. That you, you've been, been adopted into a great family. And we're called to be part of something bigger, the, the, church, the church itself. You know, and, and in this series, we're only covering 33 verses. And most people look at these first 33 verses of Ephesians. And, and you know, they're, they're great, and we read some great things, but we take them for granted about what's really going on. And I know myself, as I read this letter, particularly of Paul's, I'm, I'm always just taken back by what he focuses on. Because the things he focuses on aren't the things that I would focus on. And we'll get, more, get into more of that later. But I believe that if we really understood the privileges that we had in God, they would literally transform us. We'd be transformed. Now, what, is ha what happens, of course, is the truths. We look at these, these divine privileges here, and we look at these and say, well, they certainly affect me, right? Kind of like you put, you put salt on a steak, it affects it, right? But if you put fire on a steak, it transforms it, okay? Listen, listen the, the divine privilege that we have should transform you. There should be a transformation that happens if we truly understand and believe that these things belong to us, that these are yours even now, even as, as we speak, these things belong to you. And so the, the question I want to pose is, is look, if these things should be transforming us, why aren't we transformed? Why are we still dealing with so many of the same issues that we've dealt with through the years? Why do we continue to fight this, the same battles over and over again? And that makes me wonder too, well, Paul, of all the things Paul could have been speaking about as he sat in prison, in a Roman prison, why did he write about these things? Why is he writing about all these privileges that we have? 
I mean, I could think of more important things. I said, if I was in that position, I don't think I'd be writing about this. I'd, be, I'd, I'd, give you, I'd write you a letter and say grace and peace in the first sentence, and then I'd get on to how you need to get on with life and get on with it because I'm suffering for Jesus and you need to suffer too, right? That's, that, that's the way we would, would act, but no. But Paul in this position is focusing so much upon who God is and what he has given you. That's, that's the focus. That's what he's, he's looking at. And so Paul felt a need to focus upon these blessings as he's sitting in prison writing a letter. So I pray this morning, God, just stir. I pray God stirs us. Stir us up to see why, why Paul, what, what's so important about this that, that you're sitting in prison and this is what you focus upon? Let's pray. Father, come before, come before you, God, and we're asking you, Lord Jesus, to just reveal to us the, the richness and the transforming power that comes with understanding your heart and understanding your promises. Open us up, God. Stir us. Stir us. Stir us up in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You know, we all know what the word inheritance means, and if you've been serving God for any length of time, you know that you have an inheritance. The Bible says you've got, you've got an inheritance. And we understand what, a, what an heir is, right? If, if someone in your family passes and you're an heir, you get part of the inheritance, right? Which hopefully is a good thing. Well, let me ask you a question. If, if you inherited $50 million, $50 million, it would change your life. It would change. You would, you would no longer have a financial worry in your life. Wouldn't happen. You wouldn't, you would, not only would you not be worried about retirement, you, wouldn't be, would, you would not be worried about your children or your grandchildren's retirement. You'd be worrying about any of those. Actually, you'd be when it comes to security, uh, in the financial sense, you don't have any more worries at all because you, you are life-altering wealthy, right? If you had fifty million dollars in the bank, you could get out two and a half million dollars a year and still have fifty million dollars at the end of the year, right? Can you anybody here live on two and a half million dollars a year? Some of you are saying, "Yeah, I've never had it, so I don't know. Maybe I could scrape by, right?" But the point is, it's life-altering. It's a life-altering inheritance. Listen, here's the truth. In Jesus Christ, we do have heaven in front of us. That's an inheritance we haven't gotten. But we have already received life-altering inheritance through Jesus Christ. Life-altering. Our lives should not be the same. They should not be the same. You know, I mean, we've received, I've received an inheritance that, in Jesus that should eliminate all fear. I should not walk in fear. I should not walk in fear of financial security. I should not walk in fear of the future. I should not walk in fear of what will happen uh, relationally in the future. I should be, in this inheritance, I should be living with a courage and a boldness, a boldness in life, living life large, sharing my faith. Like I, like I would not, I don't know who I am today compared to who I should be. Uh, and how about again, how about the whole thing of you should be living in a joy. There should be a joy. There should be a generosity flowing through your life, if you realize the inheritance that you had, if we realize, it should be transforming us. You know, if you had someone who had their rich uncle pass away and they were they got fifty million dollars, and and then you heard them worried and anxious, and telling you that they're concerned about how they're going to make their next car payment, right? But you'd you'd be thinking, what is pick your adjective wrong with you, right? I mean that's. What, what, what is wrong with you? 
What is wrong with, don't you know what you have? Well, tell me, with what you have inherited in Jesus Christ today, today, with the promise of joy, the promise of purpose, the promise of security, the promise of courage, what is matter, what is the matter with you? What is the matter with us that we are not transformed? Could it be that there is way more to be said about Ephesians chapter 1 and the divine privilege of God than we realize? See, we want a we God. God wants us to grab. We want to grab hold of what does it mean to truly walk in divine privilege? Because really, we're like, we're like people who have received an amazing inheritance that should change our lives, but it hasn't. Why? Because we don't believe it. Now, I know if someone told me, Gary, you've just inherited $50 million, I'd be taken back and then I'd say, show me the documentation because I don't believe it. Right? That's what you'd say. Like, no, I'd, no. I don't, I, I'd know that, Uncle. Believe me. Right? I'd know it. And you'd want to see the documentation to say that this is legitimate. See, and one of the problems we have, listen, is we don't know the documentation. This is the documentation that you have a great inheritance. Okay, but you have to look at it. You have to study it. You have to get into the fine print to see that the promises in the documentation are absolutely true. And vast majority of Christians don't believe the inheritance. They don't believe that we've received what, we, what we've gotten. When we, why? Because we're not studying the documentation. So we want to take the time to, to tear apart Ephesians chapter 1 and first few verses of chapter 2 that we can walk in the reality, the life-altering reality of the Word of God. Is that a good idea? I think it is. So we want, again, that's what we want to do. We want to tear this apart. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read today verses 7 through 12. We covered 1 through 6 last week. Paul is writing, and he says this. This is out of the, the English Standard Version. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. I, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. These are the promises that we have, and that's what we're going to uncover. You know, as I, you know, I have so much respect for Paul. I, I mean, the example that he is to us in the New Testament, besides Jesus, his life of sacrifice, his life literally of, of suffering for the purposes of God, choosing this lifestyle of, you know, walking into cities and being rejected and being beaten times without number, but yet still going the next, right? we just, Paul's just so impressive. He's, he's an impressive person to look at. And I'll tell you what though, but to understand Paul's heart, I got to consider that in this letter, he asked for no prayer to get out of prison. That's still significant to me. He doesn't say, pray for my hearing next Wednesday. He doesn't do any of that. All he pray, he, really, he prays for us. He's praying for you. He's, that's what he'll speak about here going forward. He's the one doing the praying. It's like, man, this is totally, totally transformative from our way of thinking, isn't it? You know, I've gotten a lot of, a lot of information from people from prison. I've got, you know, people send me letters, you know, get the phone calls and, 
I've never had anybody, never, and I've never had anybody not ask for help. And I don't blame them. I'm not blaming them. Like, man, you're in a bad way. But the thing is, how did Paul do that? How is it? I believe he knew his divine privilege. That's why. See, Paul was living out the, this reality of, I have peace in Jesus Christ. He knew who Jesus was. He knew who he now was in Jesus Christ, and it transformed him. And I believe, he's like, he's living this out and speaking it. That's what I think. That's what, it's my opinion. He's living it out. So this is so real to him. Like, you can have peace in the worst of circumstances because God is with us. I mean, he's, he's here talking about inheritance and all this great stuff while he's chained, chained in prison. Wow. I mean, he, he knew this. this. This was real to him. And you may think here, say, well, man, well, geez, I'm never going to have the faith of Paul. Hold, hold on a minute. Do you realize Paul did not start out well? Paul was a devout follower of God who was, a, who was out going about trying to have Christians killed. The first time we see him in Scripture, he's standing there when Stephen, the first martyr uh, in the New Testament, was killed. He's there. I mean, he was devoted to God, and he was totally devoted in the wrong way. But God still had a great inheritance for him. If Paul has that inheritance for him, I'm sorry, if God had that inheritance for Paul at that time, in that time frame after what he was doing, don't you think there's hope for you? Don't you think God still has an inheritance for you and he wants you to walk in grace and peace and be holy and blameless and have that? Amen? That is what he has. So don't look in the mirror and say, that'll never be me. Don't look in the mirror and say, I can't walk in that type of faith. That is a lie. That's a lie. And we get, look at someone, tell them that's a lie. Doug, that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Don't believe the lie. We had, again, so I want, to get, I want you to be encouraged as you look at Paul. Okay, let's, let's, um, let's look at this next, this next slide. Verse, we're going to hone in on verse 7 here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to riches of his grace. There are some great divine privileges in this, in this verse as we look at it. First, I want you to catch it. He says, in him, in him. Listen, everything that we are, everything that we are as sons and daughters of God comes through Jesus Christ. That sounds trite. It sounds good. It's an easy thing to say amen to, but think about it. In Jesus Christ is the genesis, the beginning of every good thing that God has for you. Everything comes from him. You know, if in Ephesians 1.17, uh, we'll be covering that in two weeks. Okay, in 117, he talks, he, Paul's praying. He starts to pray for them from prison. And he says, I, I pray that you would, that the Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that you would know Him. That's, that's the key. The key is know who He is. Okay, and then in, in chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, he has another amazing prayer. And in there he says, I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you how much He loves you. That's, that's his prayers. That's his, his prayer for us is that we would know him better. And again, and he also says in here, you're, if you pay attention, if you dig into the documentation, you would see that he's saying, you already know this. I know you know this. But I'm telling you again. I'm telling you again. You've got to know who he is. Everything is in him. And saints, if there's anything you're going to walk away with here today that can change you, it's the reality that he is the answer, and you need to know him better than you do today. I want to know him better. 
I've been doing this a long time. I, I, there's still, I know so little about him. I mean, I've been married to my wife for 40 years. I still don't know her. I'm working on it, right? But how much more an unfathomable God who loves us? Unfathomable God who loves us, right? There's, there's so much in him. See, the, one of the problems we have, again, guard against this, is that we think that we have it figured out. Well, I've, again, I've, I've heard about the love of God. I've sang songs about the love of God. I've sang so many songs about the love of God, I zone out when I sing songs about the love of God. Right? I mean, right? But listen, when you start saying you understand the love of God, it proves you do not know the love of God. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, which we're not going to get to, you get this for free today, is, is, is what it says is, is the love of God is beyond your understanding. So if you're going to say that you understand the love of God, it proves to me you don't know what you're talking about. Because his love is so big, it, it's so large, it's so lavish, that we, I will never understand it. I, I, when I'm I'm confident I'm going to fall on my face when I see him face to face because he's going to be so much better and so more accepting than I've ever realized. Right? So, everything is in him. Everything is in him. And then he goes on to say that, that we're redeemed. That we're redeemed. We, we have redemption. And redemption is such a great word. Uh, again, redemption. we talked a little bit about it last week. But redemption means recovering something with a cost. You had to pay some. Something had to be paid and redeemed. Uh, we, again, we talked about the hardwood floors in my house that were covered, covered by carpeting. We had, we had to uncover those. There was work involved. And we had, we had to put the work in to, to redeem those wood floors. Right? There's redemption. It's value is added to you. So think about that. God actually adds value. More about that in a moment. But what a divine privilege that we're redeemed. God paid a price for you. God paid a price for you. Wow. And he also says here that you're forgiven. You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness. Complete and total forgiveness. Complete pardon. Justified. One of the things we like to say here is you're justified by Jesus. It's just as if you never sinned. Wow. Holy and blameless. Right? That's, that's a promise that we have. You know, it's, again, it'd be like you standing before a judge, which some of you have had opportunity to do on more than one occasion, and you've stood before the judge, and, and you know you're guilty, and you're asking, you're begging for mercy, and the judge says, I have no charges here against you. What are you begging for? There are no charges. What you, 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 you say you cheated and robbed and stole. I, I don't have, none of that's written here. You are forgiven. Just drink that in for a moment. Be refreshed in that reality. You are forgiven by God. That's what holy and blameless means. You stand before the judge and he has no charges. Your jacket is empty. Why are you here? Wow. That is what we have in him. That's a, tell me that isn't a divine privilege, that you are holy and blameless. What's interesting here, though, is to me is Paul differentiates between redemption and forgiveness because we kind of lump those together. Yeah, you're forgiven. You're, but, but again, think about it. I mean, first, if there's no forgiveness, if you're not made holy and blameless, you can't be redeemed. There can't be value, value added to me. One of the problems we have as believers is so many of us, we receive forgiveness and we are so thankful for forgiveness, but we never move on to redemption. Like, God, so, I'm so thankful you forgave me. 
But he, but he says, no, no, I want to redeem you also. I want to add value to you. Uh, many of us know the story of the prodigal son in chapter Luke, chapter Luke, Luke chapter 15. And in, in that story, the son comes back after he's squandered all of his inheritance, right? He, he comes back to the father, okay? And he asked to just be made a hired hand. He asked for forgiveness, but the father wanted to redeem him and put him back in the same place with the same privilege and same authority. See, listen, we have to watch because it's, it's just because of our human nature and it's so hard for us to believe how great this divine privilege of forgiveness is. We stop at forgiveness. And we don't know that the Father wants to redeem you. He wants to put value. He sees, he sees value in you. But we just want to say, you know, think, think of it this way. See, when you're forgiven, that, like, that takes you from a negative back to zero. Okay, it gets you out of the hole. Redemption lifts you up. And that's what we have. Tell me that's not a great privilege. See, and, and, and again, and the cost. There was a cost paid through his blood. Blood was the cost. Okay, you know, the, the, the cost of something defines its value. You, you, you can look around right now and say, I can't believe they're getting this much for a house. Well, but somebody paid that, so that means that's what it's worth. It has value. Value determines it. You know, I've... I've had four wedding rings since I've been married. One marriage, four rings. Okay, it's, I, I'm not wearing one now because that's another story. Okay, but the thing is, I, in various ways, I lost three wedding rings. Okay, then my wife had a great idea. She went and spent a lot of money on the fourth one because she knows how I think. I'm like, I ain't losing that one. It costs too much. Okay, value. There was value. There was more cost to it. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't, it won't fit on my hand, but I know where it is. Okay. So, so, so the point, the point being that, that she paid more for it, I'm way more careful with it. I'm way more careful with it. You were bought by the blood of an innocent man. How precious is that? Has anyone, it, it, listen, what God did for you is something you could not conceive doing for someone else. You're not, give, you're not giving up your firstborn if you have a child. You're not giving up your best relationship for someone else. But God did that. You must have value in God's eyes. You must have value for him to make that kind of sacrifice. He paid that price for you. Is that good news? That is why we have divine privilege. Man, God, help us. Help us grab it. Help us catch it. See, you're not, just, you're not just redeemed. You're not just rescued. You're redeemed. You throw up that next slide, Josh. Again, again just as a reality. You're, again, you're not just rescued. You're redeemed. We are redeemed by God. It also goes on here to say that there's riches in his grace. Riches in his grace. When I think of riches of his grace, when I hear riches, you're thinking about somebody wealthy. They have riches. Well, God has riches. And it, and it says that he lavishes them upon us. The word lavish means lavished. Okay, just more than enough. He lavishes you with grace, lavishes you with empowerment. That is what your God does. That's his desire for you today. And again, what are the riches of his grace? Forgiveness and redemption. Just in the same verse. How good is that? Man, and he, and he gave his son. These are the things that we celebrate. I think it's worth also looking at that last phrase. In all wisdom and insight. 
wisdom and insight. Okay, as, as I contemplate this, I'm trying to figure out what, what's, what's, what's Paul saying. I, again, I have a thought. I have a thought. You know, when, you know, when we consider what the, the plan God had for our redemption, for our forgiveness, that Jesus had to die, I'm not looking, you know, there's times I look at that and I'm like, that's a dumb idea. He's God. Can he come up with a better plan than, his, than somebody innocent dying? Why can't he come up with that? See, see, but God is three things. He is a God of love, absolutely. But he's also a God of justice. And he's holy. He's perfect. When you're loving, just, and holy, man, there aren't many ways to redeem people. Right? Because holy is without blemish. And what we catch here, what we need to catch here is, is, as I look at God's plan for our redemption, I see absolute glory in the sacrifice and the genius of the application. There's no other way for us to be redeemed. Because no one on this earth could live a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice. And, and with wisdom and insight, he set the plan for his son to live this perfect life and come in and lay down his life for us. That we, that we could be whole and celebrate divine privilege. Wisdom and insight. He knew what had to be done. And he was willing to do it. Wow, amazing to me. Verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> this read is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. This is, this is like a, feels like a big run-on sentence as we read it. First, let's just focus our, here on the mystery. There's, there's a, he wants to make known the mystery. He's, again, he's, and of course, we, most of us look at this and say, okay, that mystery is absolutely Jesus. Like, he would have this crazy plan of redemption. That in itself is, a, is that's a great mystery revealed. How is God going to bring all this together? It's through Jesus Christ. Who's the example of who he is? Who's the exact representation of him? Jesus Christ, right? We, we enjoy, we enjoy those things. See, but, but catch, I believe that the mystery that he's referring to here is revealed in these verses as we read them. Okay, what's the mystery? That according to his purpose, which is set forth in Jesus, right? Jesus is the mystery. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth at the end of time. Listen, the mystery is at the end of time, he's bringing it all together. He has a plan for the end. He, 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 God has a plan. Now, we don't experience all of what's going to happen in this moment, but there is a plan for the end of time. And what that should do for you is bring assurance to your soul. See, God does not look at our culture right now and see it just lost. God does not look at, at the, 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 the immorality and the, the lying and the celebration of evil, and he's not depressed. God's not depressed. Why? See, because he's had a plan, see? And at the fullness of time, everything's going to be united. Okay, all the nations are going to align, right? All the politics are going to align. And he's going to bring it all together under Jesus Christ. He has a plan. He is, he's not worried about what's happening in our culture right now. He doesn't care if there's a Republican or a Democrat in the White House. That couldn't, does not, he's not concerned about those things. And see, so that, just to let that bring peace to your soul. When the time is right, everything's going to come together, right? And every wrong is going to be righted. Justice is going to rule because Jesus has a plan. 
Jesus has a plan. And that should bring peace to you. Because then if, if, again, we have people on both ends of the spectrum. We get some people that you don't watch any news or read anything about news. And we get other people that are addicted to it, okay? And you need a 12-step. We have Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights, okay? All right? We got people on both ends of the spectrum, okay? Listen, we need to know Jesus is in control. You can look at this, this verse 10 and say, nope, he got it. He got it. He's not worried. Okay, the, the angels aren't up there wringing their hands saying, oh, no, what are we going to do? There's a plan. And at the end of time, it's going to come together. <sighs> Paul knew that. You know, Paul knew that. And this is the guy, again, writing this. Where is he? In a prison cell. But he's saying, don't worry about it. There's a plan. There's a plan. Don't worry about it. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just pray that I can be more bold in my faith while I'm in here. Okay, let's go on. Verse 11 and 12. Inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here he's spe speaking more about inheritance, this inheritance that we've received. And I believe that in this context, he's, received, he's talking about an inheritance that's going to be revealed a couple verses later. So you have to come back in a couple weeks to find out what that inheritance is. Okay? So that's my tease for two weeks from now to return. All right? But he said there, there's an inheritance. There's, there's more to be given. If you're wondering about predestination, last week we covered predestination. Uh, go online. Go on to bridgecitypgh.com. Go to messages. Pick out one. I'd say pick out mine, but I don't think it's on there last week. So it is? Oh, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Come on. All right. Listen to mine. Listen to Bright Nights, okay? No, I'm serious. If you're, if, you're concerned, if you're wondering about predestination, if you're wondering what, what does it mean, take a look at that. But we're going to go over inheritance in a couple of weeks. Here's what I want to look at right now, though, in these last few moments together is, is how do you know if you're living in the inheritance? How do, how do I really know if I'm, if, if, if I'm walking in what God has for me, if I'm really living in my, in my divine privilege? And I think it's really simple. It's, let's look at the fruit of your life. Look at the fruit. Matthew 7 says this. That next slide, please, Josh. Okay? It says, Jesus said, yeah, so you can identify a tree by its fruit. You can identify people by their actions. I know very little about trees, but I know I have pear trees in my yard because every fall pears happen. <laughs> you know, that's, it doesn't take discernment. It doesn't take discernment. I, they're pear trees, okay? There should be fruit that reveals you are a follower of Jesus Christ in your life, and people shouldn't have to hunt for it. They shouldn't need discernment to figure out if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus. There should be fruit that follows a Christian. And if you're walking in divine privilege that God has for you, there will be fruit that people are going to see. They're going to see kindness that's unnatural. Right? They're going to see you be patient. They're going to see you not, not indulge in, in the, the, the workroom talk about how bad the boss is. They're, they're not, they're, you're, going to be, you're going to be different. They're going to observe you the, way you, the way you talk. They're going to observe how positive you are. Right? They're going to observe these things. They're, they're actually they're going to observe your generosity. They're, they're going to observe how even when you're inconvenienced, you seem to have joy. Oh, there's one, huh? 
joy. There's joy in your life. Oh, you mean, you mean serving, serving a church is, is going to take an extra two hours? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. See, there should be a joy that just, that just flows out of you, whether you're inconvenienced by a neighbor or whoever, right? You're not going to be aggravated by others. And you share good news. You share the life and the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what followers do. If you're filled with this reality of how good the promises of God are, you can't help but want to share it with people. You want to share those things. And again, if, so if you're lacking, if you're lacking those things, all right, listen, you're, you're living below your standard that God's, that not just what God's called you to, that God has given you. We have an inheritance. It should show. You know, another thing about a fruit tree. Again, I've never walked by a fruit tree and saw it groaning to bear fruit. It doesn't have that. Some of you look constipated trying to serve Jesus, like you're trying to make something happen. That shouldn't happen. There should just be a joy. It should just be, it should flow when you're walking in divine privilege. Because we've all been in that moment, oh God, this is hard, man. It's hard doing the right thing. It's hard. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to admit my fault. I don't want to talk to that person about what I believe. And we've all been there, but that's not divine privilege. That's not divine privilege. We, can, we, can, we have so much, something so much better than that. Isn't that right? We have something so much. See, listen, if you are living in divine privilege, you are looking for ways to give yourself away. You know, in a couple of months, we have the Pittsburgh mission trip. Josh, do you have that slide, Pittsburgh mission trip slide? You know, this is something we do, we've done the last few years where we take a couple of days and we look to reach our city, reach our city. We're going to do it in June. Uh, it's, it, we, we work together a little bit. We do training out the other side of town at North Braddock. Then we come back here. Doug's leading the team. And we're going to reach the neighborhood. Now, again, when you so see, if, if you're living in divine privilege, you want to be part of these things. Because like, I want to give myself away. I want to be one who's... who's putting myself in position to be a blessing. I, why? Because, you know, a tree bears fruit not for itself, but for people to enjoy and be nourished by, right? Man, if you're living in divine privilege, you want those things to be happening. Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to live in divine privilege? It's because of something we've talked about here often. You know, grief and pain keeps us from living in divine privilege. We don't see what God sees. It could be guilt and shame. They're absolute monsters. It could be you believe the wrong things about God. But all those things keep us from walking in the reality of who God, God is. How are we going to walk in divine privilege? What do you have to do to walk in divine privilege? You have to repeat, repeat, and repeat, and repeat to yourself what Ephesians chapter 1 says to you. You have to know who you are in God. You've got to know it. You know, there's a reason for those that do it that you put your car keys in the same place when you come home. Right? Because, and use the, don't put them in the same place. You know what I'm talking about. See, when you put your car keys in the same place all the time, it brings order to your life. Order brings peace. Order brings peace to your life. Right? Why? Because you've you've made that a habit. You don't really, really. You repeat the same thing all the time. Why? Because it brings order and peace to my life. See, we 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 don't we are we don't practice repetitively learning and knowing who we are in God. We stop building the relationship and just make it functional. 
God, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? No, it's, this is relational, and we lose that. And so we, we, we have to practice repetitive thinking. You've heard the power of positive thinking? I want to practice the power of repetitive thinking. We've got to repeat, repeat, and repeat the reality of who you are in God. Right? Because, again, because what happens otherwise? Then if I'm, if I'm not remembering who I am in God, I keep falling back to my default setting. And most of our default setting when it comes to guilt or shame is to fall back into myself. When I'm in guilt, when I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm in grief and pain, I fall back into myself. How do I fix it? If my expectations are unmet, I fall back into my default mode is back into myself. You know, my, my computer, I find it has these default settings that drive me up a wall. And some of them, I didn't even know they could be fixed. So someone had to show me, you can actually fix those. But you have to deliberately fix the default settings. See, and we, we by def- our default settings, typically are all about me and the flesh, me figuring out. You got to program yourself, program, deliberately program yourself to believe what God says, to know your divine privilege, which takes repetition and repetition and repetition. Who are you in God? And if there's anything that I see in Paul's letter, as Paul speaking to us from prison, that he wants you to know is, is know who you are. Know who you are. You got to know who he is and who you are now because of what he's done. That is what sets us free. That's set, that sets all of us free here. And, and again, just this power of repetition, I was thinking about it, because obviously Paul does this. And, and I want you to know something. I am never going to get tired of telling you the things you already know. I, I just, it's the Father in me, right? But look, listen, I want you to think about it. Here's Scripture in 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. Peter wrote this, and he had the same heart as Paul. Listen, now, he had just finished in this discourse telling them all about divine privilege. That's what's happening in the first verses. Then he says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught, it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Peter was also onto this. If you know who God is, if you're growing in revelation and wisdom in how good he is, Everything else will take care of itself. Paul says in his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, he said if, you, if you can keep growing in his love, you'll, you'll receive every other blessing. But it all comes from knowing him. So Peter's saying, I will not stop reminding you who he is. I will not stop reminding, reminding you who you are now because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's reality. You've got to know it. And this is what communion is. This is why we, we push. You've got to have communion with God. Daily, you should be reminding yourself who he is and who you are because of it. It brings life. <coughs> divine privileges. Last slide. This is what we've covered in this first chapter. These are divine privileges we've uncovered so far that are yours right now. Right now. Today, redeemed, forgiven, assured sure sure the future is sure if we can stay focused on these things we can be repetitive growing in this understanding it will transform your life so we can look at ourselves right now and you can judge your own fruit what's the fruit of my life it'll tell you if you're living in divine privilege 
The way to get set free is we're going to be people who, in our communion, are going to practice repetitive thinking. And I am going to know who I am. You could use Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? God wants to see you transform. This great inheritance, how can it not transform us? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, God. We thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the reality of what we have in you. And Father God, I'm asking right now, Lord Jesus, that you just reveal to us the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of your love, of your goodness. God, that you say, you make real clear in your word, if I know that, I'll be secure. Everything else will take care of itself. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Let us be people, God, who build the habits that make for life. If we can put our car keys in the same place and we see the value, God, we can pick up your word. We can, we can see what your promises are. And if I believe them, they will transform me. They will bring order where I've had chaos. They will bring fruit when I've been fruitless. They will bring strength where I've been weak. Thank you, Father, for that reality. And Father God, if there's anyone here today who has never, never recognized Jesus as the leader of their life, has never come to a place where they said, you know you're in divine privilege. But you're saying that's something that appeals to me. I, I, I Certainly, everyone wants to be in divine privilege. If you're here today and you're like, man, I, I need to make this clear. I, I need to get settled. I need to rededicate myself to him. We don't want you to leave without opportunity to get prayer. So if there's anyone here today has done that, again, I'm just going to ask you to boldly raise your hand because we don't want you to leave. We don't want anybody to leave without that, without that assurance of who they are. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, for your assurance in our lives. Dad, let us be people who allow your word to transform us. In Jesus' name, they all said, amen. Amen. Let me turn this back over to Doug.